Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. With each mortgage-free home, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes that put their lives on the line for all of us, risking their lives for our country and our communities. These heroes need your help now more than ever. Help America's heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. What is going on, Blake Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here another edition of F in Sports, the podcast for teachers grade sports biggest issues. This week, as it is the two-year anniversary of something pretty big in the basketball world, we're going to take a look into a couple of different theses and history lesson about Kobe Bryant. For those who don't know, the Kobe Bryant's story is particularly unique to the show, so we're going to dive into that a little bit. But first, let's have some gold stars and detentions. First gold star is going to Nick Saban, Jerry West, Oliver Luck, and a number of other prominent sports figures for calling out West Virginia's Joe Manchin as they dive into asking him to support voting rights. For those that don't know, Joe Manchin is a senator from West Virginia, a popular Democratic name these days for, uh, depends on who you ask, might be the right reasons or the wrong reasons. And regardless of where you stand on, if you agree with Saban and West and the other notable West, I mean, Oliver Luck, Paul Tagliabue, a number of other popular sports names from West Virginia, or if you stand with the opposition or whatever, you have to support 
guys using their platforms they've been afforded to continue to push for change they want to see. It might not be the change you want to see, but folks are using their platforms like a Nick Saban, like whatever, to stand up for what they want to see happen. I especially think it's important to remember Nick Saban here because Nick Saban is a, you know, a hard-nosed football coach from SEC country out here publicly pushing for something that, if I'm being blunt, I would imagine a lot of SEC country does not necessarily want to support. This is putting very much, in, a, in many, many ways, his name on something that might hurt his standing across the region of the world he bluntly dominates. I will say, like, people might be, you know, want to be contrarian, like, well, he's really supporting this because of certain players he wants to get in this, and that. but also there are just as many players across the South that would also not like what he's standing for here, and Nick Saban's like, no, this is what I think is right, this is what I'm going to put my name on, I want to make sure that I ask my senator, because again, Saban himself is also from West Virginia, Yes, he did go to Kent State in the early 70s, but he was born and raised in West Virginia. I think it was Fairmont, West Virginia. He went to the classic, like, super small school, not in Morgantown even, and then, like, led them to a state championship as a quarterback because, of course, leader Nick Saban does those kinds of things. All of that folklore aside, Saban stamping his name on this is powerful because people like him, typically, at least in the past in sports, you'll see a lot of the times you know, play Switzerland and be neutral in the middle. And this is a moment where he is putting his name on something relatively controversial, and we'll leave it at that. But regardless, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to get typed too much in this. I think Nick Saban is also standing for the right thing, and maybe that's why I'm giving him a gold star. But even if you don't, you have to appreciate a guy using his voice to put his name on something that he thinks is right, regardless of if you think it's right or not, because there could be negative repercussions here just because of where he works, where he recruits, and those kinds of things, especially as you're seeing the recruiting landscape expand across like the Miamis, the Ohio States, the USC's of the world, pulling in all this NIL type of money because of the market that they have. This very well could be like a shifting world for Nick Saban, and it'd be easy to play safe, and he's not. Gold star to Nick Saban for standing up. Second gold star is going to go to the Ohio State basketball Twitter account. Uh, for those who missed it over the weekend, they had their game canceled on Saturday, January 22nd against Nebraska because of health and safety protocols within Nebraska. And so Ohio State's basketball Twitter account put out to the fans a number of different teams on Twitter that they could play in a virtual simulation, including the 1996 Bulls, the 2012 uh, Team USA. It's not quite the redeemed teams, I guess, really 08, but it's you know in the same vein with LeBron and Kobe and all them. They also offered to play the all-time Lakers team. And then the team that won the poll and that the Ohio State Twitter account virtually played was a team of 15 <laughs> Steph Currys. That, I will say that that won the poll forty, almost 41%, the next highest being 26%. So clearly that's the one that fans really wanted to see. Curry himself is obviously born in Ohio. And, and while he did end up going to high school and stuff in North Carolina because he was following his dad's professional career, I think it's worth pointing out that there's this weird connection between he and Ohio. So I, I feel like that's probably, probably what was driving it there. But it was interesting to watch a number of different Steph Curry's and virtually play against the entire Ohio State basketball roster in a virtual simulation. It was especially interesting to see like the Steph Curry's all had to actually wear different numbers and all had to guard all five positions. And you got to see actual highlights of all the different 6-3 Steph Curry's trying to match up. It was a close and heated contest, but Ohio State did win 70-63 Obviously, the team Steph Curry shot 46% from three and did tremendous in that sense. 
But at the end of the day, the size just beat them up. The Ohio State Buckeyes virtually had 30 points in the paint compared to just 18 for the Steph Currys. The fast break points were more or less even. The only real advantage the team Steph Currys had were the threes. Now, those threes were enough to keep it to be a close game all the way through. And some of these highlights on their Twitter account from the weekend are really, really funny to watch. Um, Again, they're reporting on this and covering it like it was a real game. It's a really, really fun concept. And amidst a very difficult situation for Ohio State to have their game canceled for something beyond their control, I have to say, from a fan's perspective, this is as much fun as the Twitter side of this can get in light of those kinds of things, right? To throw it to the crowd about what do you want us to do, who do you want us to play, and then to stream, publicize, and cover that virtual game as if it were a real basketball game deserves more credit. It's a lot of creativity. It's a lot of fun. And frankly, in this like modern Twitch gaming streaming world, it might be the future of things like off-season sports. You play out fake trades, you play out fake scenarios, and those kinds of things. Or, you know, if you're trying to integrate new guys into your roster, you show your guys, hey, look at all these cool highlights that this guy could do if he comes to our school or whatever. I really get on the recruiting trail. Like those kinds of things, especially now that we're able to actually put college athletes in these games, thanks to NIL money, really could be a wave of the future it will never obviously replace the fun of a real game and real blood sweat and tears and real people moving and real emotions and real people but it certainly is a fun way to go about a saturday without a college basketball game shout out to at ohio state hoops on twitter it was a great great idea and frankly a lot of fun to check out loan detention this week goes to warriors minority owner Shamath Palapatia. And now Palapatia, I will say, is a minority owner of the Warriors. Uh, he's been very, very scrutinized, rightfully so. But he gets its attention this week for last week publicly stating, amongst a number of different problematic things, while advocating for domestic issues on a podcast called the All In Podcast. Again, like I'm not saying not to advocate for domestic issues issues but in doing that he said that quote nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs okay you bring it up because you really care I think it's nice that you care the rest of us don't care I'm telling you a very hard ugly truth okay of all the things I care about yes it is below my line I'll repeat that it is below my line that's the actual quote now as I hear that it's interesting because China and the NBA seem to be intrinsically linked for a number of different things. Obviously, when Daryl Moore made his comments a couple years ago right before the bubble started, that really put the league under fire to the point where the games were not being televised in China. After that, that really hurt the business model. People have asked LeBron to make stances and those kinds of things because he is so vocal about domestic issues, and people assume that he's going to have something productive to say about international ones there are moments in all of that 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 seems like deflection it's like hey shut up lebron about this issue because you also won't say anything about that issue as if there's like unlimited gigabytes for lebron to care about all these things in the world or what have you at the end of the day i i I don't necessarily think i can fault guys for not being educated on these issues like i can't say lebron has to be educated on every single issue that happens and da 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 but i can say it's a problem when a wealthy business person who has frankly power and influence over multi-billion dollar companies that do interactions with china says that he does not care about what's happening 
with the human rights atrocities, especially to the Uyghurs in a country like China. Now, I, I look at this as like we're about to head into a Beijing Olympics, right? And how do we deal with that? We had the whole Peng Shui situation and all the World Tennis Association looking at that. And this is frankly weirdly making me side with Enos Cantor freedom in a moment that I don't necessarily think that I want to. But it's okay to say, or interestingly, I, I kind of side with people to say, I don't know enough about that, but that sounds bad. I don't have all the facts on that, but that sounds awful. I would never stand for things like genocide or, or whatever, right? Those are very easy, obvious statements to make. I also get how like people don't like when they throw that in LeBron's face because it seems like a deterrence from the kinds of issues LeBron is raising up. But this weirdly seemed to be kind of out of left field from the Warriors owner. I'm not sure where he's going with this. Again, you can care about domestic and international issues. I don't know why he decided to pick up on that one as like the one to focus on. I mean, I, I understand how difficult it is for American businesses to sit here and be like, I'm involved in that financially. How can I speak out against them there? And frankly, there's an interesting argument to be made if you look at all the positive change that LeBron James has done is tied to Nike money. And so can he really realistically do that positive change without it? I those are very difficult avenues to go down. It could be their own own podcast. But Paula Patia sitting here publicly stating that no one cares is just wrong. It, it It's inaccurate. It's wrong. There have been books and academic journals and research done on this for nearly a decade now. This is not new news. It's just new news because people are throwing it in guys like LeBron James's face. People are throwing it in the NBA's face. And as we get towards the Beijing limits, they're going to try and throw it in more athletes' faces, I'm sure. And what's unfortunate is is that using it as that boogeyman is negatively impacting both the issue itself and the other domestic issues people are using. So people like Paul Patia doing this are only hurting the issues he's trying to say to care about. I, there's a, just a number of different problems with it, obviously. But anyway, I, I sit here in most of detention, this idea that people don't care. I, I specifically identify with the idea that people do care because... When I was taking courses at SMU towards my master's, this is when I currently live in Dallas, and yes, I got a master's at SMU Pony Up. Uh, I took a class with a professor without going to names and game specific because I don't actually have his permission to go into his names too crazy. He had written published articles in the 90s and 2000s about the way these people were being treated and continue to do so through the late aughts and early teens. And this is not a new issue, right? This is a worse issue than it might have been decades ago. This is an issue that's more at our front steps than it was a year, decades ago. But this is not a new issue, and it's not true to say no one has cared about this. I, I've got to say, while it was eye-opening to me a few years back to see this for the first time in a master's course brought up, and, and the you know the, the level of horror that that brought up, it seems to have only gotten worse. And people like Paula Hapatia saying it does not matter and people don't care about it is exactly how guys like myself go until they find a professor in a master's level course to even hear about it, right? So detention to Palpatia and worse, minority ownership for that. All right, so we have a couple of smaller Kobe Bryant-themed things for this week. For those that are unaware as to why, this week will mark the two-year anniversary of the horrific helicopter crash that did take Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and a few other close friends' lives in January of 2020. As weird as it's think about the pandemic that is going on its own two-year run, uh, just before all of that, the t- year 2020 started with this horrific helicopter crash. Uh, and so we're going to outline a history lesson first, kind of talk about why this is such an important moment for the show. 
not to be selfish with it, just to explain where we're coming from here. And then we'll do two brief theses on it that kind of hopefully lighten up the mood a little bit, and then we'll wrap it up. So without further ado, let's dive in. All right, so we're going to go through a quick history lesson about me, my relationship with Kobe Bryant, and the show's relationship with Kobe Bryant, which is one where we've never actually talked. But we need to explain this, I think, a little bit just to break down why he's getting so much coverage on a day like today and a week like this week on this show. Bluntly, he's not my favorite basketball player. I'm not one of those guys that's a big Kobe Bryant disciple and it's like a hardcore Laker fan, this and that and the other. Frankly, I spent a lot of his career kind of rooting for people other than him to beat him. I liked other guys in the NBA across time. Right? If I go back and think of the first time I really like diligently watched like every single playoff game and every single thing like that, it was actually sitting around the couch with my dad in 2000 watching Reggie Miller playing against Kobe Bryant. And honestly, we kind of were rooting for Reggie Miller. He was the underdog. He was the guy that hadn't won one yet. Kobe Bryant was this young kid. Oh, he'll win a bunch. Shaq was this young flashy guy but like they'll win a bunch right Reggie Miller felt like the guy who had been close but no cigar for so long and my dad and I sat on the couch kind of wanting him to win one right that was honestly where we were at with it fast forward a few years in his career the big thing in Colorado happens I'm like oh man I don't know about this guy I, I kind of like at the time I'm a Rockets guy you know we've got Steve Francis we've just got Yao Ming they've got Shaq we got this back and forth you know I'm I'm liking where we're at I'm also in Texas seeing a lot of Tim Duncan seeing a lot of David Robinson seeing a lot of Spurs stuff going on and while we have Spurs family and, and those kind of things. And people go all the time, how'd you end up being a Rockets fan? And da, da, da. And that's like the split in the family and da, 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 all that kind of stuff. And path, life could have gone different paths. Um, what I will say is that the consistent was like the Lakers were just kind of an, an enemy, right? That was the way that was. And then flash forward to I'm going to college. Folks that know the show will remember that while I'm a lifelong Texan, I didn't go to four years of college in Los Angeles. And I get to college in Los Angeles around the time that Kobe Bryant is winning his second series of championships right I, I'm, I graduate high school in 09 and then I go to college and I see you know him he loses the Celtics right for graduate high school and then I see him win one and I see him win another one and then I see the, you know, the, the tough loss to the Mavericks right that, that ends up happening while I'm in college as well be like oh the Mavericks beat him that's the team you really hate I'm like I really don't like either one of these teams but Kobe Bryant was an active part of my basketball life for like the entirety of my basketball life, right? Um, he was always, always a constant. I'm in LA, frankly, also, just because I'm still in LA, I'm in LA when he hurts his Achilles, right? And the, the devastation, weirdly, that that city took on when it happens, like, oh man, this is all over. And and I, I just, I know so many people that that deeply, deeply impacted. Fast forward to, you know, he retires in 2016, around the same time that the Warriors are, are going on their 73 game, whatever. And there's the famous night where the final game of the season is, both that the Warriors going for 73 wins and that it's Kobe's last game. I remember staying up to watch back and forth and frankly watch a lot more of the Kobe Bryant game for whatever reason. I don't know that I can necessarily articulate why, but it did feel like this weird chapter was closing. As a, as a basketball fan, it felt like that was something more important to watch than a team getting the most wins in an NBA regular season ever. I don't, I don't know why. I don't know how to articulate that in a way outside of that, but that's just felt more important that night. Then, obviously in his post-basketball life, I feel like is when we all kind of started to like Kobe more, right? He started to do the different things about getting involved in the women's game. He started to do different things about mentoring people through the Mamba Academy. He started doing all these different off-the-floor things and became, weirdly, for a guy that had 
bluntly had legal trouble early in his NBA career, had been known as this cutthroat guy that was hard to like if he wasn't on your team. And, no, you know, for all the pushback Michael Jordan gets in the last dance as this guy that, like, is too hard on others, Kobe Bryant was also that guy. And then in a post-NBA, post-NBA playing career, he's weirdly this guy that we all like because he's almost, like, in on the joke. He's he's pushy he's quirky he's funny he's weird but he also has this very likable side that comes out after the fact and honestly i i weirdly was coming around more to him as as that time after basketball went on it didn't feel like while he was not well it did feel like he was not playing anymore i mean that was very noticeable it didn't feel like he was by any stretch gone right um and so then years go on he's doing that thing He's got a show like Detail, he's on podcast, he's on this, he's on that, he's got the sneakers things going on, he's got all of those different avenues. He's also heavily involved, obviously, in his daughter's basketball career. And then January 26th happens. So uh, January 26th, 2020, I am sitting in a coffee shop working on whatever thing I'm working on at the time, and I get a text message from a buddy saying, Kobe died. Like, in all caps, there's four or five of us in the group chat, and I'm like this is bogus. Like he's pulling our leg. This is Sunday morning. This is entirely a guy just like buying into the wrong tweet from the wrong, whatever. And then about a minute, two minutes later, somebody else tweets or somebody else send us a tweet, I should say in the same group chat. And then like, yeah, but like, it's not even like TMZ. This is that kind of gossipy. It's still at this point early in the morning. And then another one and another one. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there writing a thing at the time looking at like, LeBron James had just passed Kobe Bryant for the third spot on the all-time scoring list. And it weirdly felt the night before when that happened, similar to how Kobe Bryant had passed Michael Jordan for the third spot on the all-time scoring list. Well, we would put a guy like Michael Jordan ahead of Karl Malone or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on our all-time players list, passing that name, even if you haven't passed Karl Malone or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, felt monumental and significant and then the next morning to have Kobe Bryant theoretically die just felt like a fairy tale it didn't feel it felt like I mean the worst kind of fairy tale it didn't feel real and then slowly I eventually just stopped writing and went to Twitter and you start seeing all this outpouring for this thing that really had happened and I I think that it really starts to strike home when he was not my favorite basketball player again but you start seeing guys that are your favorite basketball player deeply emotionally hurt there's no way around it. Kobe Bryant was your favorite player's favorite player full stop end of sentence whoever you like in the modern game grew up enjoying watching Kobe Bryant he was young he was playful he was a kid he was a killer he was uh, relentless it was all work all the time all business just a little bit of humor in the off-court stuff I mean he was your favorite player's favorite player and to see these athletes these Herculean you know, Greek God built guys on the floor in full on tears before games. It, it, it just, it, the impact was so monumental in a game that we all love and care about. And it really weirdly took me back to my own childhood. I mentioned that Kobe was frankly this you know, like constant throughout where he was not my favorite player. He seemed to always be like peripherally involved with my favorite players. And so I, I go to school one day and, and context on where I went to high school. We had a rotating schedule, so if you had an off period, sometimes it would rotate first thing in the morning. But there was a collection of us like myself that had to take a little brother to school and so like we were always there even though we had off period first three in the morning. And so we get there and it's really just like me and one or two other guys because we're the only ones that had to bring our siblings to school. So of course it's just me and one or two other guys. And 
this guy walks in named Jacob. And Jacob walks, Jacob's a diehard Lakers guy. Southern California guy. He himself would go to USC with his dad gone to USC. Big Lakers family. Also, uh, you know, big Dodger family. And that's just, that's just who they are. And he walks in. He looks like he has not slept in three days. And it's like mid-December. It's cold. And we're like, Jacob, what happened to you? You look awful. <laughs> he says, I stayed up all night watching the Lakers game. It's the most unreal thing I've ever seen in my life. Now, flash forward back to 2005. There is early text messaging, but you're not, there's no Twitter. There, there's Sports Center. It's really the only way to take in clips. And bluntly, uh, we're sitting in a library, probably talking louder than we're supposed to be. And he's like, guys, did you not watch it? And we're like, no. It, the game tipped off at like, I'm not, I mean, I'm, we're in Texas. The game tipped off at like, 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m. No, I didn't stay up till 3 a.m. watching a bad Lakers team in 2005. <laughs> like, that just wasn't what I wanted to do that night. So he said, we got to go find this. And we went over, and another friend of ours decided to get a one-week trial to ESPN, whatever. It wasn't called Plus, but whatever the account was, to where you could watch clips, because that's how you had to watch clips. It had not been stolen and streamed to YouTube yet. And so we watched the clip, and... Jacob pulls up this clip of the Lakers first Mavs game in December of 05. And for those that have not watched that game, um, a lot of notoriety gets made about the 81 point game in January of 06, a couple weeks later. But this moment sticks out differently because we're sitting there watching and uh, Kobe has 62 points. By the end of the clip, they show the, the numbers and this and that. 62 points in three quarters of play. He played just 33 minutes and scored 62 points. The particular poignant part of this is that the entire Dallas Mavericks at the end of three quarters had 61 points. That's the same Dallas Mavericks team that in the 05-06 season would go on to play the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals. <laughs> Kobe Bryant had single-handedly outscored them in three quarters. And my buddy and I that are not Jacob are saying like, man, that's crazy, that's wild. And Jacob as a Laker fan and a Kobe fan, and they're like, this is more than wild. This is unbelievable. This is historic. This is monumental. This is modern day Wilt Chamberlain. How how are you guys not, like we're saying this, man, that's so cool. And Jacob is like, you guys don't get it, right? Obviously a couple weeks later he gets 81 and similar kind of thing happens, except we weren't probably as tired and haggard the next morning. Flash forward to, I'm in college and I'm weirdly also a guy named Jacob, but a different Jacob is sitting there reminiscing and talking about the exact same story. Now, the second Jacob, uh, we'll call it Jacob S., is from California, and it was not as late at night. He was not as haggard the next morning and so on, but the exact same awe, the exact same, oh my God, the exact same heroism out of Kobe Bryant happened in his household with his friends, and he's from L.A., so they were all Lakers fans. They all had seen it, but they all had the same feeling. Without social media and Twitter sphere and connecting across the world and so on, that impact and feeling was clearly happening for every young kid watching Kobe across the world. And so when you flash forward to 2020, to January 26, 2020, and that exact same sadness is transferring across the entire world, right? To the sadness to the same degree, I should say. It's transferring all across the world to all of those kids who were 15 in 2005 or 14 or whatever in 2005 you now have those same kids are flash forward 15 years later 30 right a lot of those kids are 
a lot of the NBA players are guys that would have been kids around then watching that, right? You fast forward all then, those emotions are, are just as powerful than the opposite pendulum swing just sweeping the country and sweeping the world and having to teach the next day. Because, uh, again, that happened early on a Sunday morning. So Monday, we're at conferences and trying to teach and this and that. And every basketball player, every athletic-minded kid I'm working with is just in a bad mood. It's the same exact sweeping emotions hitting kids years later in the exact same way. And whatever you think about Kobe, right? I'm not the Kobe Bryant fan. I'm not the whatever. That emotion is hard to write about. It's hard to discuss in other platforms. And so, honestly, my buddy Shaka, who started the show with me way back, had messaged me about starting a podcast. And it was the Kobe Bryant death that made me respond to Shaka and be like, listen, I don't know how to write about this, but we've got to talk about it. I, I don't know. I don't know how else. What other medium would work to get this out? Because it's not hitting paper well. I can't articulate it well enough on paper. And so, weirdly, as far as this history lesson goes, that probably jump started. I think this show probably would have happened at some point anyway. But that probably jump starts in many ways. This show happening. It's a, a thesis we mulled over, and on the first year anniversary, we talked about it as well. But it weirdly is this constant. So. Jeremy 26, 2020 will always be famous in the lives of many basketball fans. It'll always be famous in the lives of the show. And there's this weird, like, whatever Kobe did rippled throughout the entire basketball verse in a way that happens in 2005. It's a way that happens, I was young, but probably also happens when you look at what happened in Aurora, Colorado, 2003. It's a way that also happens when he retires in 2016. And it's a way that also happens when he is dead in 2020. And it's a way that will also happen in 2030 when it's the 10-year anniversary. And a way that will also happen when, like, Natalia Bryant, Kobe's, Kobe and Vanessa's first daughter, does something incredible in her own right. Because she likely will, right? It's the same way that something will happen. I'm sure it'll ripple through when Bianca and Capri and the Bryant family continues to do big and incredible things. Because they have access and resources and work ethic and they had the example from when they were growing up and, and like i'm sure that those things will happen too and they will probably also ripple the basketball world even in if it's not basketball things in a weirdly similar way the impact of that is just too big to ignore and so yes we're going to do another episode where we look at all of all of kobe bryant all the time as far as our theses go because frankly whenever something kobe bryant happens those big kobe bryant moments that's how it goes. You have all Kobe Bryant material all the time, even if he's only peripherally in your life, right? And so that's where we're going to go. We're going to do a couple of Kobe Bryant theses as we dive in. So while I've talked on a soapbox for a long time, let's grade some thoughts. All right. So our first thesis is bluntly because I'm a sneakerhead. And folks who listen to the show know I've talked about sneakers ad nauseum different points back when we had Shaka on. Shaka and I would swap thoughts on sneakers. We had a whole episode, if you want to check the podcast from early last summer, we talked to a few other sneaker teacher types. But the first thesis this week reads, Nike and Vanessa Bryant need to come to an agreement and start selling the Kobe Bryant line of sneakers. Again, to this, I'm going to go like, C plus. Let's break it down. All right. So the thesis reads that Nike and Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's now widow, Vanessa Bryant decided that she was going to part ways from Nike. And the thesis reads that Nike and Vanessa Bryant should come back together and start selling Kobe sneakers. Now, 
I think that what's interesting here is Nike and Vanessa have clearly decided to go two different ways on the sneaker thing, which meant that in 2021, when the contract was up to be renewed, Vanessa, representing the Kobe Bryant estate, decided not to up that. On the Sneakers app, if you follow me on Twitter at painter 512 you've noticed there's a lot of L's to be handed out on the Sneakers app. It is almost a crapshoot unless you're using a bajillion different bots, which do cost money to run, to go through and consistently win, air quotes, because you still have to pay for it, but to win things on the Sneaker app. Vanessa Bryant thinks that that is bogus. <laughs> In the wake of Kobe's death, all of his merchandise or all of his memorabilia shot through the roof as far as sales go. I mean, you could buy a $180 pair of sneakers and in a week you can flip them for $500. So, I mean, the, the idea of if it's got Kobe's name on it, it is valuable, exploded. And so Nike continued to give out limited or to sell limited numbers of Kobe Bryant sneakers and limited numbers of Kobe Bryant jerseys and limited numbers of memorabilia increasing that rarity, increasing that value, which is interesting because they don't get resale value. They get the value of itself, but they know it's going to sell out when it's limited. They know it's going to sell out when it becomes valuable like that. And so that's bluntly the way they went about it. And to Vanessa's credit, that's not what she wants. And that's what, according to her, that's not what Kobe would have wanted, right? Anyone, according to Vanessa Bryant, that is a Kobe Bryant fan should be able to if they can pay for the retail price, go get Kobe Bryant shoes. They should not become some $700 piece of memorabilia that you sit on your wall. She wants Kobe Bryant fans to wear Kobe Bryant jerseys. They shouldn't. The black and gold Mamba Edition Lakers jersey from the bubble should not be sold in limited batches and thus become a $700 jersey. That is not what Vanessa Bryant thinks, or what Vanessa Bryant argues Kobe would have wanted. Every Kobe Bryant fan, according to Vanessa and thus the Kobe Bryant estate, should be able to get things. So I get this a C plus for a couple reasons. One, I am very anti-sneakers app these days. That's not to say that I don't compete, <laughs> air quotes, compete and try to get things on sneakers app, but it's it's flawed. Anytime you're awarding people for having you know, a, a bunch of robots that they're paying extra money for, as opposed to just, I have the money for the retail pair of sneakers. Why is this, why is Nike making this more difficult than that? The exclusivity of sneakers is frankly not the point of sneakers. And and I, I tell this to kids all the time that I, I teach and coach and whatnot. If you're paying $200 for a pair of Nike Dunks, you don't get it, right? If you're paying $500 per Kobe Bryant's, you don't get it, right? The idea of sneakers is that they're a collectible things, sure, and I'm, I'm sitting here next to a collection of my own, but I, I rarely, rarely go above retail price, and I'll tell you, I'd never go very far above retail price, because here's the deal. I have been doing this, it's a lifestyle, it's the thing I've been doing my whole life, and this idea that, well, I, I have to have that one pair, I'm going to throw $7 down, it's like, no, I'm going to wear them, they're going to get dirty, they're going to get beat up, I'm going to wear them, they are not just something I'm going to stare at, and so, Part of the fun, part of the collection is wearing them and wearing them out and wearing them around friends and comparing, oh, you did a lace swap, that's legit. Oh, I wore my, you know, on the Grinch Kobe Bryant's, you know, you went with red laces, you went with black laces. Oh, I went with this and that. Like the conversation around them and how much, how much, you know, what other kinds of comfort you find in them or, oh, my air bubble popped and now mine squeaker. Those kinds of things are part of the lifestyle of being a sneakerhead. And so the exclusivity of a sneakers app flunks every time with me. Sneakers app flunks. I'm sorry, Nike sneakers, you're listening. Bring me on, we'll talk about it, but 
sneakers should not be that challenging to get. So that does flunk for me. But similarly to that, Vanessa discontinuing the relationship with Nike also means that no one can get the Nike Kobe Bryant line, right? Like that means they're no longer making new Nike Kobe Bryant sneakers. That means the value is going up on all those retail sites, on all those resale sites, I'm sorry. And that means that Vanessa worrying about people having limited access to Kobe Bryant memorabilia has only gotten more limited because if the resale market is only working with that short, small stock of stuff, because the relationship is discontinued, those prices are only going up. The ability to get those sneakers is only becoming more difficult. And I I don't know how, how like if this is a staring contest, because we've been almost a year at this point, and Vanessa's hoping Nike comes to the table and says, what do you want? She says, more availability. I don't know what the deal will be there. But I do think that at some point, Vanessa's right that it should be more available. But I also think that not agreeing to the deal with Nike made it even more unavailable and thus it's kind of counterintuitive to the point. It's if it's just a staring contest and a year from now we're looking at it and there are, you know, Grinch Grinch themed Kobe Bryant sneakers everywhere and everyone's got all the access they want and all the kids that want Kobe jerseys can wear Kobe jerseys and you even have the Mama Mentality logos on them, those kinds of things. That's a whole bunch of fun. I just worry that that's not actually where this is headed because Vanessa and the Kobe estate are doing fine financially, even without the Nike money. Nike is doing fine without the Kobe Bryant money. I, I, I don't think that there's actually this push for the two to work together in a way that other stare-offs might happen. And so I worry that the reason it's not an A for me is I, I worry that A, the sneakers app will ruin this if they get it just like they ruin everything. And B, Vanessa isn't Vanessa not working with Nike is not helping the situation either. So that's where I sit with that. I will say, though, I sit here with my wall of sneakers next to me. I've got three pairs of Kobe's on said wall. Um, I've got the Bruce Lee 5s. I've got the high top green 9s. That's the ones that are like super deluxe high. No, I don't lace them up because they're just too darn high. And then one of my favorite pairs is the Bordeaux ADs. They're like kind of a mid-top pair, and there's like cool burgundy that's like the color of wine Bordeaux. Um, And it's got like a pink and white check on it. It's a really sleek pair that I don't see people like coveting the same way. And clearly that's because guys like me have them, but I really, really like that and wear that pair a lot. So shout out to the Nike and Kobe line. They do make very comfortable shoes so much so that it's becoming the top shoe of NBA players. There's a whole story. We gave it attention out earlier this year, but because of the exclusivity with the out releasing any new pairs, NBA players are finding it increasingly and increasingly more difficult to get their hands on the sizes 15, 16, 17, 18s, just because there aren't new ones being made. And so if they're trying to find them, they're really, really trying to find them. They are, they are a phenomenal pair to play in, coach in, et cetera. And they're stylish and comfortable and fun. And so great pair of sneakers. I'm not sure that either side of this thesis completely resolves the issue. So we're sitting at a C. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? 
Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out the beard struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, the beard struggle's got all the products that you need. The beard struggle, feast your face. All right. So, our second and final thesis for our Kobe Bryant themed week is Kobe Bryant number 24 was better than Kobe Bryant number 8. This thesis, for me, flunks. (laughs) That might be my hot sports opinion of the week, but I'm taking Kobe 8 all day long, so let's dive in and break it down. All right, so Kobe 24 is better than Kobe number 8, or at least that's the thesis. I'm flunking it, and I strongly disagree. So the statistics someone who favors number 24 Kobe will throw out. He won two championships and two finals MVPs as number 24. He wins an MVP as Kobe 24. He makes 10 all-star games as Kobe 24 and all 10 seasons he played. In less games, he scored nearly as many points. Again, remember as Kobe 24, he missed some time with the Achilles injury. And by the end of the career, he's not playing in back-to-backs. And all of those like buzzer beating moments and these big like the Kobe snarl, ball head Kobe, the Olympics happened for Kobe 24. All of those things happen with Kobe 24. I'm in favor of Kobe 8. And I could I could go to some raw stats like that he scored more points in his 10 seasons as Kobe 8, that he won more championships in his 10 seasons as Kobe 8 or what have you. I think the difference here to me is that Kobe eight if he'd been given the same opportunities might have been a better player and that's because kobe eight was also this hyper athletic jump out the gym dunk contest winning type of guy and he was also the mid-range sharpshooter the guy that flips the lob to shack he won three championships as kobe eight and played a couple more like i i just i think of those things as the 10 years that I remember as Kobe. This is probably totally old head remembering the good old days, but he does those kinds of things and wins a scoring title and makes the all-star game a bunch of, uh, you know, eight times in, that's again, eight times he entered the league. He wasn't even old enough when he entered the league to sign his own contract. He was 17. He had to have his parents sign on with him, right? This idea that Kobe 24 is, you know, the age like a fine wine and better and so on completely negates that, the last couple years, like, yes, he does make the All-Star game because his name is Kobe Bryant and he has all those accolades to his name. But by the end of his career, his play is actually, I need to whisper this, his play was actually hampering the Lakers, right? Like, the Lakers don't want to admit it. Lakers fans don't want to admit it. But his play from, like, 2013 to 16, 
coming back from that Achilles injury actually probably keeps them from being able to start the rebuild earlier in the process. And I see those three seasons, and I look at the first couple of Kobe seasons when he wasn't an all-star as a young, you know, Froby kind of guy, and I think that I'd rather take the growth on the front end. I, I think that there was more value there, and while he didn't make the all-star game in his first year or two, I think it's important to note that, like, part of that is we're still getting to know this guy. <laughs> like, I'm not going to punish him because he wasn't the best player on the team, because he played with Shaq, and Shaq's one of the best players of all time. If we're splitting the career in half and trying to see which number we're going with, I'm going with Ocho almost every single time. Now, I did flunk this, and I said almost, and there'll be people say, well, Parker, those don't seem to go together. If it's an almost, it shouldn't also flunk. The one thing I do have to say is if the you know Kobe 24, number 24, also gets the few years of his life between playing and dying, like those retired years where he's on the sidelines in the WNBA sweatshirts, going to all the WNBA All-Star games, going to the WNBA Sparks games, leading the Mamba Academy, doing the detail show, doing all those fun things, then you might be able to have me, right? If you're talking about the switch as including the post-Laker years, then maybe. But the thesis doesn't say that, so it flunks to me because I really, really value the fun athleticism that was younger Kobe. It's funny in doing this comparison that, like, he has a scoring title under each number. He has six all-defensive teams under each number. He he has one more all-NBA team under eight, and he has the dunk contest and the all-rookie team under eight, which I guess he could have entered the dunk contest at number 24, but those both seem like young guy things that were not eligible for him at number 24. The inverse there would be that he has more all-star MVPs under 24. This comparison seems to come down to do you value those finals MVPs or not? And I think I would take the Kobe as part of three championship teams and played in another finals before I take the Kobe Bryant and played in three total finals and won two rings. Maybe it's because I don't think of that magic ring as being that big a deal. I don't think of that magic team as being the same kind of level as like the Nets teams that I think of Kobe beating in the early on. Or the, I, like, I guess the more comparable team might be the Iverson team because both games are five-game series. But And maybe I'm putting too much weight on that Iverson team. But I think I'm still going to side with that, those wins being more impressive to me. And I, I can't tell if it's because I'm not valuing Shaq enough on the early wins or I'm overvaluing Powell on the later wins. But I, I think that their impacts are more similar than people realize. Now, obviously, like Shaq was a dominating scoring force and defensive in the in a very different NBA defensive force than Powell was. But Powell's impact on other levels of the game, the inside-outside aspects, the passing aspect, all of those kind of things, I think, also made him a very big impact player. And so I don't see the influence of Kobe being that much different. I, I, I guess that's part of my thing is I guess I do have Shaq a little bit better than Kobe in the first few wins, and I have Kobe being a little better than Powell in the latter two wins. I just think that all four people, Kobe 8, Kobe 2-4, Powell and Shaq, are much more similar than people maybe fairly say. I also think that at the end of the day, being the explosive athlete of Kobe ends up being more beneficial than the turnaround over the shoulder fadeaway Kobe at the mid-range and 
that may be my disdain for things like the mid-range fadeaway but at the end of the day <laughs> that, that, is a, that is a very like inefficient shot and i'd rather the explosive guy that attacks the rim and gets free throws i think that that kobe in today's nba probably does better than mid-range kobe in today's nba and i'm gonna say it i think kobe 8 is better than kobe 24 if you disagree i guess you can come at me on twitter Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. So if you can't tell, we really do have a thing for Kobe Bryant on the show, even if he's never been and probably never will be my favorite player of any kind. His link to the show seems somewhat important and relevant enough to talk about every year around this time of year. Shout out to Chris Sliwa. That's Chris underscore Sliwa7 on Twitter for all the work he does behind the scenes in the show and editing and those kind of things. Thank you so much to Chris, if you're looking for me and my stuff on Twitter, you can find me at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. I'll do things like talk about Kobe this week. I'm sure I'll do things like post when I'm writing, sometimes reading, my occasional word of scores, uh, all the podcasts and those kinds of things I'm on as well. And you'll be able to check out things like L's on sneakers, things like Rockets wins and lots of losses. Things like Texas basketball. We did win this weekend, though. So things like Texas basketball wins and losses and and so on. So make sure to find me and my stuff on Twitter that way. This show is available on Instagram and Twitter as well. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. And on Twitter, we're at FN sports too. We're approaching 5,000 followers on Twitter. Make sure you check us out at FN Sports, F-I-N-S-P-R-T-S, number two, all one word on Twitter. On all of those social media handles, you'll be able to go to the link in the bio to get to things like our sponsors. So that's Yeti, My Bookie, The Beard Struggle. Links to all those fun things there. You'll also find a link to our merch store where this month, getting ready for Black History Month, all proceeds from the 42 campaign will go directly to the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. Now, that's a fund that specifically helps pay for public educations at historically black colleges and universities and predominantly black institutions so it's the place we're going to be donating all proceeds from that campaign for all of february we're getting started a little bit early because february is a little bit short so make sure you go check out that campaign you can buy t-shirts sweatshirts and we actually have a baseball because 42 we have a baseball raglan as well if you want to go check out those options through our merch store again you can get to those merch stores by going to our social media handles that's f underscore n underscore sports on instagram or fn sports 2 on twitter be sure to go check those out. Go through those. The merch store, you can buy our blue. It's got, you know, Dodger color blue, nice red and white logo with the number 42 on it. And it says, don't flunk with us on the back. So be sure to check those out there. Be sure wherever you are listening to this to like, subscribe, rate, review. Go do it a second time somewhere else. And whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You could get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're 
team ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.